Welcome to Be Honest Podcast with Dr. Yana and Dr. Sherry, where we hold honest conversations about life, relationships, challenges, and everything in between with unfiltered discussions with real people offering their authentic stories, experiences, and perspectives. No topic is off limits and no story is too small. Join us on United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are live today again on Friday from United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM with the gorgeous Dr. Sherry and Dr. Yana. And we're coming live from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Welcome, Dr. Sherry. Thank you. <laughs> so to good to friend. see you. Yeah, so I love your sweater. Thank you. Our topic is a little dark today, so I figured we'd light it up. Yeah, this Christmas, Christmas lights. You're on light today. Yes. <laughs> um, well, what are we going to talk about today? The mask of sanity. What does it even mean? Mask of sanity could mean a lot of things. But with regard to the topic today, we're going to talk about how beneath someone's composure is a whole different being. And in my understanding that we all do that to some degree, right? Yeah, yeah we often have what we carry around what Carl Jung considered the persona, which is actually very good for us in certain situations <laughs> because that's how we adapt to our social environment. So we all wear a persona, but a mask oftentimes is something that we're concealing. A lot of times for many people, it's unconscious. I think maybe for many people, um, it is an unconscious process. You know, it is um, a very interesting concept, a uh, mask, right? The persona that we put forward. I remember when my kids were li little, they would uh, tell me, mom, you're so different with other people. And at home, uh, you're absolutely different person. And I would ask them, so how am I different? And then say, you speak to people differently, you know, and um, you, uh, you smile, you laugh more. And when you come home, you're not the same person. And I'm like, oh, what is going on here? So I had to explain it to my kids that we all were a persona. We're all different. And of course, what do we, what meaning do we give to the understanding of that face that we wear in public, right? Kids are not so much because for children, it was um, a concept that they could not understand. But I had to tell them that we have to wear a mask in public, you know, if they want to, if we, don't want to be hated or 
disregarded because our face sometimes can be pretty ugly <laughs> and we're social creatures we have to adapt we have to put our best face forward although a lot of people they tend not to do it at all and disregard the society in general I think children live in the moment, so they're not captured by fear, fear of what people think of them, fear of how I'm appearing to the outside world. So they live in the moment. But it's um, what a great observation that they brought to light for you that, hey, mom, you're so much different in public. Than yeah. You're at home. What's going on? Pay attention to yourself, right? What is it? How <laughs> come you're up, mom? <laughs> And when they got older, Victoria would just say, my, my oldest daughter, she would just say, Mom, uh, at home, you have this resting bitch face. I'm like, oh, what's going on? And this is the thing. When we are with ourselves, we wear a different face. And to the public, we show a different face. So we, throughout life, throughout the day that we live, we wear different faces. And that is absolutely normal. That is a normal part of the day. Yes, it's an ad adaptation to your environment, to your social situation. So we tend to wear certain masks. I mean, if you're going to go to a perhaps a funeral, I'm sure you're not going to be clowning around and laughing the whole time while you're there. So you put on, maybe that's not a good <laughs> thing to bring up here. However, because I guess you should be happy in that situation. <laughs> We're laughing now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's not a good uh, um, <laughs> example. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, that um, uh, in Jewish tradition, for example, yeah, at the funeral, of course, that the, it's uh, anywhere, I guess, in every tradition that you have to be serious and you have to take it seriously. However, it is prohibited the, to cry. And lament like it is uh, accepted uh, pretty much in many other cultures. There, you're not allowed to cry. And even um, after that, when essentially you celebrate uh, life and not death, uh, what is it called? Um, when people get together after the funeral, what is it called? I forget. Sometimes they have a luncheon. <laughs> I guess that that's what it is, right? The luncheon to celebrate the... Um, I, I don't even know that in Russian. And you don't know that word in English that tells us that, that how much we know about this topic. And of course, preferably, we don't want to know too much about it. Uh, but uh, we do know we have to talk about it. In uh, um, Jewish tradition, you're not supposed to be sad. And in fact, uh, on those lunch horns, um, People are supposed to laugh and tell jokes and celebrate life to make the departure of the deceased easier to pass onto the, another world. Mm -hmm. So if you see people laughing and telling jokes, it is okay. So you and I are laughing right now, it's still okay. Because um, I was telling that if I die before all of my loved ones, I said, I don't want to have any sad music there. I want uh, it to be celebrated, not my death celebrated, of course, because I said, I'm going to be looking down from above. <laughs> Whoever's going to be celebrating my death, <laughs> I will punish them. <laughs> but uh, celebrating life, of course. Uh, um, so I want the good music, funny music, the happy, and I want people to uh, rejoice and remember me. So, and I think it is um, 
the souls also of the um, people who die, they have an easier way to depart. And I think that's been a tradition, the meaning behind that tradition. Uh, I, and with regard to myself upon death, I would leave it in the hands of my loved ones. Whatever will allow them to be at ease, they want. They can play whatever they want, do whatever they want, say, take the mask off, wear the mask. To, to me, when I depart, I leave it in the hands of my loved ones to do what they want to bring them peace. That is very interesting concept. Yes, I guess we have to allow people to be themselves. That's true. I guess I'm the controlling person. I want to control people even from the afterlife. <laughs> I'm going to be watching all of you. You better behave. Is, is awareness. <laughs> awareness. <laughs> Speaking of controlling, that's a big part of uh, psychopathy, which is... Yeah. Uh, controlling and manipulative. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Yes. So this is so interesting. So the psychopath, they do represent this dark, dark uh, part of um, our life. And the interesting thing is that when we call people psychopath, it has become such an overused uh, uh, label that whoever's just uh, misbehaving or not behaving in the way that we want them to behave right something like out of ordinary they immediately become psychopath not mm -hmm. even thinking why what stands behind it we overuse that yeah so similar to the word narcissism it's loosely it's usually thrown out there all the time if someone gets hurt dumped whatever the situation may be a lot of times we project as people to call these people narcissists however i think we all have a small smidge of narcissism within us doesn't mean we suffer from a personality disorder. That's true. So wearing a mask can hide our true self from other people. And some people are better at that than others. And um, do you think that psychopaths, they, they are masters of wearing a mask of sanity? Yes, I think that they, if you want to call them masters of it, I don't think that they reveal themselves as who they are. They always reveal what they want from something for more than like, I would say self-gain, self-absorbance, whatever fits their needs or wants and desires and goes against the grain of what is society would perceive to be as normal behavior. So psychopathy is an abnormal behavior, maladjusted Maladjusted, uh, uh, manipulative, uh, impulsive behavior. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us, we also uh, stumble and uh, um, understanding the difference between psychopathy and sociopathy. They're interchangeable. So, they're interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we use them as interchangeably, although sociopathy is uh, a, a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And I believe in the DSM-5. However, psychopathy is not so much, is it? Psychopathy is more of this, the, is, is this, it's a, inter, it's defines the interpersonal, um, connect, uh, connected to interpersonal, not necessarily specifically the diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder. Sociopathy, I've always considered them to be used interchangeable because uh, they fall under the spectrum of uh, uh, personality disorders. It's a cluster. 
It's a cluster. Yeah, there's oh. three different cl clusters in the personality disorder in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So there's three clusters. There's the odd and eccentric behaviors, which tend to be, uh, which is paranoid, schizoid, and schizotypical. There's cluster B, which is antisocial, narcissistic, and borderline, also histronic. And then there's cluster C, which is avoidant, dependent, and OCD. Those are all personality disorders. So with regard to the mask of sanity, you're probably could list them all under there actually. So they would fall under the antisocial personality disorder. A psychopath, yes. Psychopathy, sociopathy. Um, so what are the traits of the antisocial personality disorder? Lack of remorse, um, impulse, lack of impulse control, impulsive behaviors, going against the norm of society deviant behaviors, criminality, criminality. Whereas if you compare that to narcissism, the core of narcissism is more about an in inflated sense of self, which I believe also plays a part in antisocial personality disorder, but it's more specifically narcissism is more self-absorbent and people who have are often are diagnosed with uh, narcissistic personality disorder can have a small tinge of remorse and empathy or they can use it to benefit themselves. Whereas people with antisocial personality disorder may lack complete remorse or empathy. Then what is the difference between sociopath and the psychopath? I would, I'd say they use interchangeably. Would the uh, sociopath go to the extent of uh, murdering people? Yes. Sociopath would also do. Okay, so perhaps then uh, if the sociopath, they do have empathy uh, to some extent and remorse and the uh, psychopaths don't by nature, then so is that impulsivity? Maybe the, uh, the essence here in the impulsivity and that the answer to that lays there because um, while sociopathy can be pretty impulsive and psychopathy as well perhaps so, uh, psychopaths they can calculate um, their actions and perhaps they have more of um, patience to carry out a plan that the sociopath probably wouldn't due to uh, still having some empathy do you think I think a sociopath is more related to anti uh, anti personality, anti social personality. Anti social personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, then uh, for the um, psychopath, wearing a mask is hiding everything behind that mask. His true feelings. I'm saying his because uh, the majority of the psychopath, uh, they are male and not so much of female. And in fact, out of the whole world population, it's uh, between one to 30% of different studies. That's what they show. And that is so interesting. Uh, if I think about it, um, so the psychopath identifies himself uh, with a mask of sanity that he projects to uh, the society and people around him. 
versus um, the narcissists, uh, maybe, and sociopaths, they do not associate with that mask, although they do wear that, they wear different kinds of masks. Both, I would say, wear a mask of manip manipulation. Whatever is going to um, satisfy or gratify their intrinsic desires, what they feel. What, a lot of times people act out, if you're going to, we're going to go as far as to talk about serial killers or people mm -hmm. who murder for, um, it's, it's impulse control. I think that uh, I've, I've read that they are, they try, so they try to hold it on for as long as they can, but once the, it's, it's an obsession. And once the obsession becomes a compulsion, just like an addiction per se, it's, it's, it's a type of uh, behavior it's on and they have a hard time stopping it because they lack certain traits of empathy and remorse and the inability to control their behaviors. They're impulsive. That's true. And they only pretend to care because they don't have uh, empathy. Uh, they don't, rarely that they would develop any feelings for anybody. Uh, they, if they do develop feelings for other people or even for their pets, uh, they would be shallow. But they're still capable of loving in their own understanding of that love, the shallow love that they have. They can still care for people. I mean, of course, not every antisocial personality diagnosis or narcissism diagnosis is going to set somebody off the deep end and become the next John Wayne Gacy or Bundy or you know, a female Eileen Warnos. That's true. And then, then uh, uh, I, I call them socialized psychopath because they are amongst us and they are everywhere. If we just look at it, uh, uh, a lot of um, CEOs, a lot of people uh, who have uh, gained the substantial positions in the society, they uh, have psychopathic traits. And this is the reason why they were able to get so high on the ladder uh, because of having low empathy and consciousness, not consciousness, conscience. Why are those two words uh, similar? <laughs> conscience, not consciousness. Although if we look uh, at the studies of the quite controversial Scottish psychiatrist uh, R.D. Lang, he was talking about something called uh, hypersanity, which is like an enlightened state, state of being. So in his understanding, so the mask of sanity that we wear is like a straight jacket a mask that we put on to the society that we have to break free of our repressed emotions, feelings, thoughts. And in his mind that um, we, uh, we have to move from the mask of sanity to hypersanity to get enlightened, to understand that we have to break away from that. And in order to do that, one has to go through madness. And that is such an interesting concept because now if we uh, look at the, the spiritual ascension, if we look at the enlightenment that we were just talking about, um, how can one achieve it without breaking himself or herself from everything that uh, uh, was not serving him well on the path to enlightenment? There is that madness that comes. So 
in his um, so in Artie Lang's controversial thoughts of the hypersanity, um, I think I, I find some meaning in them. What do you think about it, Dr. Sherry? Well, I believe in order to get to enlightenment, you have to definitely, if you're living behind a mask of sanity, you have to, you have to unveil that. Living in a mask, the mask of sanity is basically not being authentic. You're not being your true self. I'm showing up with this mask so I can fit in, so I can feel like I belong somewhere. Um, so I, I think depending on, I guess, where you're, where you're at in your life and what you're dealing with, how far are you away from enlightenment? I mean, enlightenment, I think, is a, how do you define enlightenment? Each and every one of us, I believe we are on our own path to enlightenment, to the understanding of, um, understanding of our higher selves. If we can ever get in contact with it, a lot of us are asleep and we don't even think about it. And if, um, psychopathically inclined person would ever decide to move beyond that because they do have an understanding of their behavior. So I guess that would be, uh, um, they would have to go through a stage of madness to reach hyper sanity, to reach the enlightened state in order to better themselves and to stop their behavior, to go to therapy. The thing about therapy with people who suffer from severe personality disorders is they, they don't, they don't, believe they have a problem. It's very difficult to treat people with NPD, uh, narth narcissistic personality uh, disorders, borderline personality disorder. They're not very, they're not the easiest to treat because, because of their sense of self-absorbance, for example, they don't believe they have a problem. <laughs> How it's very difficult to meet someone where they're at when they don't believe anything's wrong with them. Absolutely. And then you can never find any narcissists in therapy, right? <laughs> Psychopaths don't knock at the door of the psychiatrist or psychologist and say, hey, I have a problem. Can you help me with that? <laughs> already better than, than that professional. Yeah, they don't want to acknowledge that they have a problem, of course, and people around them suffer, but uh, it's all their own fault because uh, like narcissists, they try to protect their own fragile ego. So... Um, you know, when I was thinking about the, this topic of mask of sanity, I uh, came across uh, one interesting book that was written by American psychiatrist Har Harvey Clickley in 1941. And it actually, the book is called The Mask of Sanity. And that is so interesting that you propose this topic to discuss, Dr. Sherry, because um, it is a very pertinent topic to our everyday life. We may not think about it, but it touches us one way or another during our lifetime. For example, um, he talks that psychopathic person perfects mimic of a normally functioning person and able to mask a fundamental lack of internal personality structure and internal chaos that results in repeatedly purposeful, destructive behavior. So they may be absolutely charming, intelligent, going out of their way to charm you and to persuade you into anything that they want you to do. They learn to mirror you. They learn to mirror others. That's how they learn to pretend to have emotion. They learn to, they learn how to mimic it. And that is how they are more 
uh, avertly, they more avertly express uh, um, feelings and emotions, while other people won't. This learn to mimic normal people, so to say, and uh, in order to achieve uh, their goals because they don't have any ability to experience emotions. So that is why they have to mimic. You know, if we think about the psychopathy here and um, trying to understand it and not just uh, call any person that we meet on the street uh, who is driving, for example, erratically, oh, he's a psychopath, he's a psycho. This is what we call him, this psycho. It would be really sad to live in a society with so many psychos there. A very <laughs> low percentage of the population that are actually psychopaths. That are actually psychopaths uh, clinically. However, it's really difficult to diagnose them as well. But the sad thing about it is that it doesn't matter how much you know about psychopathy or narcissism for that regard. It doesn't matter how much you know and what kind of an expert you are in this matters. At some point in time in your life, a psychopath would be able to fool you because as uh, human beings and the members of the society that we live in, we want to be nice to each other. We want to uh, fit in. We don't want to have any problems. We don't want to have conflicts most of the time. We want to play along to be a good member of the society. But for them, liking uh, empathy, they have to come and become chameleons with us. And what happens is that they can be so charming that even the most expert of experts can be fooled and consider that person a genuine human being. So if there are any of us, I was one of them. And I'm not saying that I know so much about um, uh, psychopathy, but I remember that I met um, a person that I thought for the first uh, time in my life uh, uh, who did not have uh, any empathy, no emotions whatsoever, was completely manipulative. And I couldn't understand it, how a person can be like that. And my feelings were hurt. And I'm not the, an easy person uh, to hurt because I, um, I learned how to grow a thick elephant skin so people wouldn't be able to um, affect me so easily. However, uh, with the psychopaths and their charming personalities, they can get into your soul, they can get uh, into your entire essence, and you will think that they are the best people in the world. Up until you learn the lack of emotions and complete and total superficiality in everything, but it just, it takes time, of course, to learn. But we shouldn't be blaming ourselves for that because I was so hard on myself. How couldn't I, how couldn't I see what was happening there? So um, with time, Sherry, I understood that it was, um, it had nothing to do with me. And it had nothing to do with me being gullible person. It just had to do with the fact that I was a good person.
like the majority of people not wanting to have any conflict, actually trusting somebody who is presenting themselves a certain way. But in fact, that was not the case. And I, since then, I've realized that there are many people like that around us. Many people who would just take advantage of you and would have this uh, Machiavellian nature that uh, uh, they would impose on other people just to gain um, what they want. That's why it's important to get to know yourself and get to know other people. Because a person can only wear a mask for so long. Eventually, it slips off. You're going to see behind a mask. There's only so far you can go in life wearing a mask. Some people get really far in what they do, but a lot of times they either go away, leave a situation, disappear, or get caught in some shape or form. And whatever you went through, thank you for sharing your story about that. Whatever you went through likely taught you what to look for with regard to getting to know somebody and maybe the signs and how to pick up on some things when there's lack of remorse antisocial personality disorder if you're specifically tuning into that that's really um that's a deep one yeah it's pretty deep however we don't think about it that when we go out out of the door in the morning we don't think about it oh i'm gonna meet a psychopath today i need to get prepared it doesn't happen that way we go by the and be prepared you can't be prepared for that at all. And we think that the psychopaths are actually the ones that, oh, they're the Ted Bundys, right? Or uh, Charles Manson's. Um, but in fact, they can be just absolutely manipulative, cold-hearted people living right next to us, sometimes being our boyfriend, husband's girlfriends. And how do we recognize that? How do we not fall for that? I think that it is very important to understand ourselves, like you said, and I totally agree with you on that, even if that we don't agree on um, a lot of things, which is a good thing, right? Yeah, we have to carry on the conversation, have a debate, and debate the truth is born. Well, we respect each other's opinions. That's where there's effective communication. That is absolutely the case, because I want people to be able to um, respect each other and each other's perspectives and um, know, or at least to uh, try to understand where another person is coming from, because we all come from different backgrounds and different conditioning. And that is why uh, it's uh, important to try to understand what is the person is coming from, or at least to respect the other person's opinion. And nowadays has become a hard thing to do. Um, I believe if, most people are good. That is... Um, There's actually a song, I believe, <laughs> in, in addition to that statement. Yeah, that is a very uh, admirable trait. And it's easier to live this way. It's easier. Although I would uh, um, if think about that the deeper than... If we believe that all people are inherently good, then and then they <clears throat> excuse me, then they exhibit this uh, horrible, uh, manipulative, uh, uh, disgusting uh, behavior uh, with the aggression, remorselessness, uh, sadism, you know, then what do we do? 
what do we do by assuming that everyone is right? We have to be able to understand that not every person is good. Not everybody is good uh, around us and people can have ulterior motives. And the only way how we can learn is to heal ourselves, to continuously pay attention to ourselves. Where are we stumbling in our life? Where we are hurting? Where we are dismissing ourselves? Where our boundaries are broken? Also seeing people that are not maybe not living up to what you think is good or how we want to define that seeing them as emotionally ill a majority of people that murder people are not social psychopaths they're they're everyday common people who are dealing with mental issues maybe addiction they're dealing with things that may cause them to snap they may be in mental health disorder like schizophrenia for example so I would say a lot of people who cause other people harm are not always psychopaths. There are good people out there who break, like a mother who kills her children. I believe there's something broken there. I don't I just think it goes against nature for that to occur. And that's when it comes to the biopsychosocial complexity of the brilliant, beautiful human mind while we're sitting here talking today, because it's so, it's so complex. One person can be something one day and completely different another. That's true. You know, serial. What sets somebody apart from just someone who commits a homicide and a serial killer is that people who commit like your everyday homicides, it's usually killing people they know for some reason. Serial killers go out of their way to kill people that they don't know, that they target. And that's why it's a lot generally a lot harder to catch those people. In, in order, I believe, to be able to recognize that the behavior, that the person is ill, for example, right, uh, uh, mentally ill, we have to have some frame of reference. And in, in order not to fall for the charm and manipulation, uh, we also have to have clear boundaries and understanding of ourselves, healing that if we were in the uh, pathological relationship before, Falling for the psychopathic behavior, narcissistic behavior, let's say uh, sociopathic behavior, would be a normal thing for us. And then we will continue the cycle of abuse, also being a good person at the core, but at the same time being abused. But why? Because that uh, um, situation feels familiar to us. And this is all we know. And up until the time that we figure it out, listen, this is uh, unacceptable. This is unacceptable. Once we start doing that, uh, that work on ourselves, when we stop um, condoning that behavior, when we put an end to it, there can be some difficult time that we go through at the same time. Um, we will get ourselves on a path to not only survival, but understanding ourselves, learning, growing, and then not falling for the behavior uh, um, of the predators. Because when you meet a narcissist, for example, right, you know that something is wrong. Uh, you immediately can sense it, but it's for the healthy individual. But if you're lonely, for example, dysregulated, codependent, you will be uh, thinking that, you know, um, this is a normal uh, behavior. I'm okay with that. Completely overlooking the red flags, right? Yeah, if, if you're maybe uh, 
your attachment style is other than secure, you may fall victim to, or maybe not call victim to, you may, you may allow yourself to ignore the red flags as they're called. Ignore your intuition. I believe anytime we have a disturbance, anything that disturbs our being, even if it's very small, and if we don't listen to it, we're, we, we might find ourselves in a little bit of, maybe not even trouble, just knowing that I did see the signs and I, I, I did not heed those warnings. I just kept going, like you said, to fill the loneliness, whatever the void might be. Oftentimes it could be primal fear of abandonment. Like you might be in a relationship, can't leave, even with you're in the narcissist. Allowing the behavior to happen to you because um, you feel like you deserve it. Deep-seated fear, I believe, that brings up the topic of fear. And again, that's why people wear the mask of sanity many times. It's fear. Same thing with narcissism. At the very core, it's fear. I must be admired, validated, um, and given attention so I don't deal with my biggest fear. Biggest fear and uh, the inherent sense of shame that narcissistic uh, personality disorder or even narcissistic traits, uh, the profound ones that they stem from. Mm -hmm. You know, we can uh, talk about the narcissism and call people narcissists, but at the same time, we don't recognize that in ourselves. We can be our own first narcissists. And of course, we look for the specs, specs in other people's eyes and we don't see a huge, big, fat log in our own eye that we need to get out, right? Yeah, it's called playing the victim. Playing the victim, yeah. Oh, and uh, if we're talking about that, narcissists they play a victim. If you look at their behavior and the trend and the pattern of their behavior, they're all victims. They all play in the victim card. So it is. Uh, um, while it is very interesting to have scientific talks about uh, this psychopathological, antisocial personality disorders and psych psychopathology and wearing a mask, we can bring all the science into it and the research. But at the same time, what is the best teacher of um, human psychology to us? What is the best teacher? The best teacher first is life, Oh, actually, first is literature and then life, because we can be thrown into life. And when we're born, uh, we are not given the instructions of how to live this life, right? Uh, so when we pop out of the mom's womb, uh, the doctor does not immediately put, the, here, here's the instructions for your life. Live your life according to these instructions. We don't know. We don't know. So depending on the environment that we grow in, um, we can become pretty gullible. Like if we did not have to survive, we didn't have any problems to overcome in our life. Uh, and we had pretty good parents um, that were pretty protective. We go into this life, graduating high school, being naive and foolish and thinking that, oh, the world um, is so nice and uh, uh, kind in rosy tinted glasses when it is not. Well, Unfortunately, yeah. 
well, the prefrontal cortex of our brain is not fully developed until we're 25. So when you're dealing with teenagers and all these things and their perceptions and perspectives of the world, they're not fully developed in their brain. So therefore, of course, they think it's let's that's I think that's what defines rebellion in teens. They, they you know, they they're out there to conquer the world because little do they know they have a lot more development up there in the, the brain. This is so funny that you're saying that I was going to just excuse my behavior up until I was 25 years old. <laughs> but then what is the excuse for the, my behavior after that? <laughs> so there's no excuse. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, it's biological. Our makeup is that we are as we are as unique as our fingerprints, not not one match. There's not two people in this world that are alike even twins, right? There's even studies that show that they have differences in behavior. That's a whole nother topic. I won't even go down that, that avenue right now. But I, there's so many different complexities that make us who we are. I, I, you know, I'm a big um, proponent of the attachment theory. I think how children are raised and what they're exposed to is a major factor. However, they say things are like ancestral generational. They're, they're, it's like generationally from our ancestors are pass things down. So even people we haven't even met, we're carrying on parts of their innate behavior. That is so profound because um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, not only biologically, we're predisposed for certain behaviors, even psychologically. And we also carry the memories of our ancestors for the way that they have behaved, for the, the way they had behaved in the past. So in order to understand ourselves, we have to learn our own personal history. And if something just doesn't make sense, if we continue to have certain patterns, we have to look into our past. But the, um, I also believe that the, one of the greatest teachers is literature. By reading books, and I'm not saying that we have to, um, that the modern literature, call it the, the there is a lot of, um, yellow press literature which is um so insignificant uh, it is pop culture literature that doesn't give you the insight into the human psyche it is filled uh with the, the emotional triggers to get you really interested in the story and hook you up in their trilogies and quadruplegies and uh, what is this the the, the um 10th and 20 and 50 uh, episodes that come after that, if we we'll look at the TV shows, right? And in the books uh, um, tend to be much less, but the, with the TV shows now, uh, the media is just brainwashing us and our children. And I can see that because my kids, sometimes they watch this idiotic, uh, completely idiotic, numb, uh, brain numbing shows. And like, what are you putting into your brain, right? And certain things that, those shows um, project onto young generations, they become a norm for them. They become a norm. So I cannot stress enough reading books, classical books. For example, if we go into the Russian literature and read Dostoevsky, if you want to know about human psyche, human psychology and behavior, read Dostoevsky, the underground notes, and it shows the psychopathology, and you go into the, 
mind of uh, uh, the sick mind, you go into that and you relieve the same situations for that person. That's how you learn. This is how you know. If you don't want to learn from your own experience, go into the books, read. Or, yes, I think it's important to be informed. In, informed. Um, and then how do we become who we are? For example, I've always been interested in uh, human psyche and the behavior, behavioral patterns, why we do what we do. Because uh, I, um, growing up, uh, we had, uh, uh, of course, we had TVs and everything, but we did not have all those computers, right? We didn't have iPads. Uh, we didn't have um, all so many different apps uh, that numb our brains. And we had three TV channels for which I'm so grateful, and we had books. And by coming home from school, I was reading. I was reading, and when I was actually falling sick with different viruses and flus, I would be so happy because I could stay home and read books. I was fascinated by human stories. I learned human psychology, in fact, through the books. Um, this is an um, interesting um observation that I had once uh, while uh, working on my master's in literature. Um, one of my professors somehow said, you cannot learn human psychology uh, through literature. And um, that was such a bad professor. <laughs> I could not believe that she actually said that um, because uh, to me, it was the representation, the ultimate representation of human mind. You go into the, all of these intricacies, how people think, what they do, what throws them into certain behaviors. And if you look at the description of the pathological mind, how it thinks and where he, his or her thoughts take him, it becomes so fascinating. You starting to understand when you go into real life, subconsciously, you are more or less prepared for that. That's the beauty of the written word, right? The beauty uh, of the written word. And we have so much access to written word today. That I mean, for those who are not drawn to literature, I'm, there's um, there's other avenues as well. I mean, there's just so many resources today. I mean, there's AI today. You can type in anything in there and they'll shoot it back. I would advise you to research a little bit and make sure the information being provided to you is accurate. However, there's so much um, available today. That's the beauty of evolution, of literature, of the mind. You know, with the whole AI situation, pretty soon we will not even need to write books because this artificial intelligence will be writing it for us. We'll just uh, give it an idea, write this book for me about this topic uh, with this kind of uh, details, and it will, and it will. It will, right? However, I, I will always believe that there's an element behind the writer is what reaches the soul of the reader. You can have a, a, a something generated for you. However, if it's not coming, if something part of it isn't coming from yours, I think from the human, Maybe AI will prove me wrong in that regard. However, I just believe there's an element that that the human spirit brings to the whatever's written. 
That has been the case over the centuries, don't you think? That has been the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, nowadays, of course, this is the, the um, deeply unpersonal approach to everything. What do you mean? I needed, um, I, I wanted to explore this AI situation and um, I asked it to um, write an essay for me. And while it was not so personal, of course I could uh, copy and paste it and put some of my own personal remarks. I was stunned at the complexity and uh, um, intellectual prowess, so to say, of the written material. Yes, so, if, you, if you are a writer, when you read the things that it generates, it oftentimes uses a lot of similar words. Navigate, crucial. I've used AI to read things and just to ask different questions. And a, a lot of times it will use the very similar words in the language of descriptions that it provides. Do you think uh, with um, our topic of conversation today, people hiding behind the mask of sanity. Uh, Do you think it would be easier for them to flourish in this world uh, and not paying so much attention to how to behave in uh, personal relationships in their lives? Um, Perhaps it would be easier for them to scam people over the um, internet because there are already like so, so many different sites uh, where people meet and date and just socialize and uh, they don't know each other. Perhaps that the AI would be uh, a, a way out to construct all of those false narratives that uh, will help them to conquer the minds and souls of other people. You can only go so far with a mask because when you meet face to face, who are you? Are you that AI person that I read? And you know, and here we bring into the conversation deviance. Not every everybody's level of deviance, not everyone. I mean, I think everybody has a level of it. We all have things within us that we may not share with the world, that we may take to our grave per se. But there's a level of deviance that certain people have that they're ser- searching for that fix. There might, you know, from deviance can range from like criminality. Someone may get off on, you know, with um, pedophiles, rapists, serial killers, mass killers, spree killers, whatever level of psychopathy, whatever level of deviance that they're trying to have that control of. Like Ted Bundy said, he said, you feel, you feel the last of their breath leave their body. You're looking into the person's eyes as that person you're in that situation your God. So he was saying like, as he, that was like, I'm probably butchering that quote. I apologize, but he basically felt like he was God. Speaking about God, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you live from the United public radio network, (laughs) 107.7 FM from beautiful new Orleans, Louisiana. And I'm Dr. Yana. I'm here with Dr. Sherry discussing this interesting and profound topic of the mask of sanity, of what stands behind it. Well, Dr. Sherry, you mentioned the eyes, how they look 
and how they are fascinated by the human eyes. However, uh, people who came in contact uh, with the um, psychopaths, they report that their eyes are empty. They lack life. Uh, they are more like what they call like the reptilian eyes, because as uh, uh, human beings, uh, you can sense what is behind the mask, because we all have our own inner sense and intuition that we should use more often than not. And this is what people report. They report an empty person is like a shell. Well, if someone doesn't have remorse or they lack remorse, that you're, you're probably going to appear as a shell. You have an a inability to empathize with another human being. That sets you apart from, you know, it gives you a distance between another person. Inability to, re to relate with emotions and feelings. You know, there is such a thing, uh, as we all know about the, the um, tree of life. In the Kabbalistic tra tradition, um, there are angels, 72 angels that are above the ground. And then again, there is a reflection of the tree of life that is uh, underneath the ground, the same tree, but the opposite function of the angels. They're still angels, but they're called clipod, uh, and what it translates as the shells. So it makes me think now the, about the connection between these two notions, psychopaths being as empty shells and the shells as the clipboard in the, um, the Kabbalah. So what is there perhaps uh, in the psychopathic individuals, perhaps um, their spirit maybe is uh, not the, what the, they are, or perhaps it was uh, substituted by the spirit of uh, um, some sort of uh, different entity. If people report their eyes as... Um, uh, reptilian eyes and not human at all. Perhaps uh, there is uh, something that is taking over those people or even living in them. That's a whole nother uh, show right there that you can Ooh. bring to light. <laughs> bring the archetypal psychology and everything into it. I think that's intuition from some people. If, if it's something they've witnessed of the person before they knew of their heinousness, However, when you, when you find out what someone's committed and what they're capable of, and you say, well, their eyes are really dar dark and empty and they seem like a shell, that also could be a confirmation bias of your own perception, depending on what you know. But I, I do think it's important coming from someone who has not met them before they were convicted of perhaps a heinous, despicable crime. Hmm, I hope I never come across anybody like that in my personal life. Although well, if you do, let's hope you live to see it and, and go beyond. I hope I live to see, but don't not go beyond. <laughs> what are you talking about, Dr. Sherry? <laughs> oh, we started on this dark um, note and then go beyond. I don't want to go beyond yet, my dear. I just I still want to stay here. Yourself, be like, uh, understanding, enlightenment. yes. It's, enlightenment, it's, understanding. It's yeah, no longer relying on yourself to get everywhere. It's relying on something that's greater than you. Yes. Whatever that's defined by the viewers, however you define that for yourself. 
Yeah, because the psychopath going beyond of this world can mean something else, quite literally. Um, with the uh, going back to this eye uh, situation here that we discussed, it is such an interesting, interesting uh, observation that people made that um, their eyes are empty. Uh, science says that um, psychopaths they have uh, reduced eye contact. This is very interesting, and of course, that can be an indication of other personality disorders. Uh, and um, they also have reduced the blinking, and it is done in order to persuade their victims. I've noticed that um, when people lie to me, and this is one of the indicators, and of course, that you have to take a. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You're not saying anything. You can just like stop blinking. <clears throat> but I'll be watching you when you talk to me. So close, Dr. Sherry. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah, reduce blinking because they would just look at you, um, the liars, they would look at you straight in the eye and not blink. Because somehow subconsciously they know that they have to put uh, the best foot forward and appear as trustworthy and blinking somehow gives you away. But that's also not the, uh, the indication of uh, the lying, of course. So you have to take all of the um, unconscious uh, body behavior um, to understand if the person is lying or not. But I think it is very important for us to also learn how people lie, not only to have our own... Uh, um, inner understanding or our own rely only solely on our intuition just to understand if the person is lying in front of you but also to uh make an inquiry into the literature to understand how people lie how do i determine that the person is lying in front of you because uh, their body language is going to be totally different and you have to know the baseline of that person how he behaves she uh, how they behave. I have to adopt this they <laughs> pronoun, how they behave, not to be so personal, of course, because I don't want to say that uh, men are more prone to lie than women. There are so many atrocious women at the same time as, as atrocious men and their behavior is so despicable. So uh, I'm not the, trying to insinuate that. But uh, we need to understand how people lie. And uh, um, in order to do that, uh, uh, we have to get educated. But at the same time, what I noticed uh, uh, while I was working on how to understand a human behavior, how to understand their lies due to their body language, how to read people, there was one person, uh, I overlooked one uh, characteristic. There was one person that I could not understand whether the person was lying or not. And over the years, I would just find him uh, uh, very trustworthy somehow. But there was this inner voice that is, was telling me that the person is lying. But me uh, looking at the uh, body cues from the intellectual standpoint, I could not really understand if the person was lying to me or not. So I had this uh, disconnection between my my mind and my soul. I had the the what is called the cognitive uh, dissonance. 
I could not understand how come I don't understand they, they, they all had to come together, but I wasn't understanding that. So I learned that the person was ambidextrous and not just left-handed or right-handed. The person was ambidextrous because you can learn a lot about the person if they're right-handed or left-handed, but if the person is ambidextrous, uh, it's pretty difficult to learn if the person is lying or not that I've noticed. So it has so many different facets, how to uh, figure a person out. So in order how to uh, safeguard ourselves from psychopaths and manipulators, uh, this is one of the ways. Yeah. But um, Dr. Sherry, I have a question for you. So how do we survive? How do we survive psychopathy when it comes to us? How do you survive psychopathy? Like yeah, if so, you are suffering from psychopathy <laughs> yourself, or yeah, I'm just trying to get an understanding how to survive it myself. <laughs> well, I have another hand here, Both so ways. I'm, I'm omnidextrous. Um, <laughs> I, I, love it. Ambidextrous. I love it. Oh, you so, have three hands now. Yeah, now I'm omnidextrous. <laughs> it's probably not a word, however. How do you survive psychopathy? Go through it. I said, Who was it? I don't recall. The, they said, like, when you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> When you get to the end of the rope, tie a knot, hang on. I mean, you just have to live. It's, it's a part of the live experience. I think you, you, it all starts with getting to know thyself, know who you are. So when you're facing someone who's presenting symptoms of behaviors that are abnormal or maladaptive, you'll pick up on it. You may be disturbed by what this person says or what they do. Um, just doesn't something something may seem off. And to survive it would be to walk away, leave it alone. Leave Don't it alone. try to figure it out. Oh, let me just stay a little longer and see how hot it gets over here. <laughs> exactly. And to get the fried on the hot skillet up until the point of being burned completely and uh, lose your existence. <laughs> yeah, that happens. That, that happens. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I have scars. Yeah. With I'm psychopathy, people get the, the, the not only scars, scars signify that uh, you have uh, moved along, right? That you have either survived or you moved past that, understood what was happening. But some people have open wounds and they're not able to move away. However, they must understand that with psychopathy, like you rightfully said so, that you have to move away from the person. It's incurable and the person is going to always uh, be who they are, the same as with narcissists. Of course, uh, I would advise not to lightly call everyone a narcissist, although it is so tempting. But at the same time, when you figure the person out and the person consistently showed, uh, exhibited narcissistic behavior and gaslighting and manipulation, uh, you have to understand you have to ask yourself, do I want to survive? Do I want to live a good life? Or I want to be still with this person and to lose myself completely, be fried on the skillet and lose my life? You have to ask yourself that question. And by asking that question, you're making a step to your, toward yourself, understanding yourself. And um, a lot of us, we cannot understand how in the world could I have allow this person to treat me like that how in the world did i let myself stay with a person for so long right that is the first uh, uh, response 
but then we should uh, avoid blaming ourselves. Yeah, you can just uh, uh, blame yourself for a while just to <laughs> get in touch with yourself, whether that works for you or not, blaming yourself. But at the same time, uh, we should steer away from blaming ourselves. We you should don't blame yourself, but you have to take responsibility for showing up. I suited up. I showed up to this relationship. I allowed myself to have this lived experience. And like you said, don't beat yourself up, which is not easy to do when we go through those things. But we, I think the biggest key to getting to know yourself is taking responsibility. I allowed this. I showed up. I set the ball rolling. This person showed me A, B, C, and D, and I failed to. Because generally in the beginning, we don't see all these things because we're dosed up on our neurotransmitters and perhaps the other things of fear and loneliness. I, I agree with you. Don't blame yourself yet. You have to take responsibility because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what someone else did to you, how you react to it and how you continue to live your experience. That's how you're going to get through life. And I think that's how you'll get to that. What did you call it? Hypersanity. Hypersanity. Right. And it doesn't matter what another person does to us. It's how we react to, to what how we react do. to that. And for that, we have to become conscious. Yeah, conscious of our own life and behavior and thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And that's a not easy thing to do, but uh, uh, it's very important to take that step towards yourself. Yeah. And when, like, <laughs> when you're blaming yourself, that's another part of being a victim. The poor, I don't want to call it the poor me syndrome because that's just what I've been told. But you, if, if you stay in the victim, you can't consciously live. Your con victimhood, I believe, is riddled by fear and shame and guilt. Because when you're blaming yourself, blame equals shame. You mentioned uh, Churchill's uh, statement, if you are going through hell, keep going. While it may be true, uh, when we go through bad periods in our lives, there should be a time when we go through hell and we don't see the end at the light, uh, we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel or the tunnel at the end of the light. Who knows? <laughs> Dark light. <laughs> when we don't see it, we have to stop and ask ourselves, do I want to continue through that hell or do I want to get out of it? In a situation, uh, Churchill uh, was talking about the war, right? We had to go through the war. We had to uh, survive. It was a hell for the whole humanity. Uh, but with this situation with the psychopath, if you have the ability to get out of that relationship or uh, step away from the situation, uh, then you should do it because there is no light at the end of the tunnel with the narcissists and the psychopaths. They are incurable. They will continue to behave that way and destroying you and your soul and your body a lot of the times with the psychopathic behavior. How, yeah, in addition to that, and it becomes you that it becomes the person who's the destroying because you're choosing to stay in that hell. And when, so you, exactly, they'll, they may continue to destroy you, but you're the, you're the common denominator of you are destroying yourself by staying in a situation that no longer serves you by showing up to the table where only, you know, poison's being served, drinking the same drink, you know, you're drinking the poison, expecting someone else to die. So That's true. Taking responsibility, taking off your own mask of sanity, taking, reveal, taking that mask off. Your own mask? 
yeah, like uh, you're where you're in a you're you're going through hell. You're living in a situation that's destructive to you. You're riddled by fear. You're you're so afraid of the unknown. You're in so much pain that you, but you're so afraid to change. So you're like, what do I do? It's 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 going to hurt no matter what. Like Carl Jung said, getting to the conscious is going to be painful. Bringing to light everything that we have to deal with to get to that hyper sanity is going to be painful. Pain is how we grow. Pain teaches us what we don't want to touch again. Pain is uh, same with trauma. It brings us strength. Where there's light, there's dark. You know, it's it's always there's a balance. That's what life is about. Is trying to maintain that balance. Not too much light, not too much dark. A little bit that's of both. True. Well, I don't want to step on my transmitters. <laughs> like you said, step on my transmitter neurotransmitters. I don't want to step on my neurotransmitters. What feels good. I mean, it's fantastic when you meet somebody and it's like blows your mind. And, you know, you, at a certain point, you have to be above that, not above that. It's like, how do you go above your neurotransmitters? But to see through <laughs> that, it's just a it's just a system of reward. It's all it is. Am I willing to pay the long term pain for a short term gain? Am I willing to participate in something that's going to bring me pain long term? And this is an ongoing process. Being knowing yourself, I, our, ourselves, myself, yourself, everybody, it's an on, it's a lifelong process. I believe there are times in my life I'm going to take us. They're going. I'm going to take steps back. They're going to have triggers that show up. I'm going to experience a loss in my life. I'm going to lose someone very dear to me, and I'm sure it's going to wreck me. And of course, how I react to that is going to ultimately be my fate. But I, there are going to be things in life that are going to happen to us. Psychopaths. We might Psychopaths. meet one. Yeah, that the things uh, um, that will happen to us and sooner or later we will come with this malevolent behavior and we have to know how to behave. Or if we don't know, we have to teach ourselves. And that is why it is so important to grow thick skin. It is so important to grow... Uh, um, Claws. At the same time, we have to, regardless of whether we uh, um, consider ourselves such a good person and we should not retaliate or should not defend ourselves, like the solve everything um, in a peaceful way. Like there was um, um, peaceful resistance. It was uh, um, uh, what was it that was manifesto uh, during the World War One, I, I guess, um, in Russia during the revolution? Uh, I forget what it was called, but it was the non-resistance to the oppressors, you know, non-resistance. Uh, and this is how you uh, win. And uh, sometimes this is not how you win. Sometimes so you have to resist and you have to resist your own tendencies to stay in the situation that is absolutely destructive to you. Oh, I, okay, so that makes sense. So when you say grow claws and a thick skin, you're, metaphor, you're metaphorically basically saying to grow, to gain resilience. To gain to resilience. resilience. And not only grow resilience because life and life situations will help us grow that resilience, right? Uh, um, be, for us to become resilient, just... Um, as the iron is being uh, toughened, right? It has to go through the steel, it has to go through the uh, fire. At the same time, 
not only become resistant, resilient or resistant, resilient, uh, and resistant, of course, to the destructive tendencies, um, we also have to have the ability to protect ourselves. And not in a destructive way for other people, but uh, we have to grow teeth, we have to grow claws. Otherwise, we're going to be consumed by the narcissists, psychopaths, and sociopaths. And we have to be really conscious of that. So if there are people who are playing it safe and being nice to everybody, you have to rethink it again and again. Rethink it. We can't conquer um, malevolence with kindness. You know, some people say that, oh, I'm going to kill this person with kindness. You can't kill the malevolent with malevolence with kindness. So that is why you have to be able to protect yourself. I'm a supporter of killing things with kindness. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me, how would you kill uh, the, say, um, psychopathic behavior with kindness? If the Sinus. psychopath... Is that does not have any empathy or understanding? Silence. Silence. Mm -hmm. Where's Don't the kindness? That's kind kind. Kindness to yourself. Do you mean kindness to yourself? It, it, I think it's just kindness also for me very broadly speaks to seeing a person as damaged. It's empathizing. No matter this, this person is still a, a human being. They're still another person's child. Um, they're living and breathing despite their despicable behavior that they, I still see them as a person. I try to see them as being uh, spiritually and mentally sick. I don't have to engage with them. However, by killing them with kindness would be to not play the game. Just be kind. If someone speaks nasty to you, you don't have to claw their eyes out. Just simply, okay. And oh. you know, not to claw their eyes out, but to be able to protect yourself when someone is attacking you. And that protection is not only physical, it is also uh, intellectual. You have to get the, the understanding of the other person, like you said, that the other person's uh, condition. And that is not only through the heart, but also the, like you said, uh, intellectually understand that there's something wrong with the person, but removing yourself and preparing yourself for the... Um, backlash because they will come after you they will come after you they will try to punish you and then you need to have a thick skin and then you need to have teeth strong teeth in order to protect yourself because a lot of the times when we try to kill people with kindness they will come back and they will try to hurt us often times when when you see underneath someone's mask and they know they've been revealed they don't want to show up to you anymore Either they will become, they, they may become destructive and harm you if they have criminal behavior or domestic or some kind of abuse. That is a possibility. So always be mindful and aware and let people know your situation and talk to people if you can. In narcissistic yeah. relationships. But uh, relationships are two components. They're interpersonal. And these days it could be four or five people, you know, the polyamory thing. It's just, a, I think everything we do in life you have to check your motive. What is my motive? Dig deep. What is my motivation to, to go hang out with this person? Am I attracted to this person? Do I want to, do I want something from this person? What is my motive? Mo you know, 
motive is what le is what leads us to do the things that we do. What is our motive? Is it good? Is there something stirring underneath that's going to cause me pain? So check your motive at the door. You know, some people check their ego. Well, go ahead and check that motive too. Yeah, we have to be uh, understanding of our own motives, but at the same time, uh, be very conscious of uh, the other person's uh, uh, motives as well. Because uh, uh, in relationship with narcissists, uh, when you leave them, when you finally decide to unmask them, when you rip their mask off, they are going to unleash their anger at you. And it's not, uh, you will not even be able to be kind to that person. You will want to save yourself. You would want to protect yourself. Because what happens uh, after you break up with a narcissist, all hell can break loose. And especially if you have children with that person, <clears throat> especially when you cannot get out of that relationship, because uh, uh, they will come to destroy you after that. And that is why uh, in narcissistic relationships, we have to be, um, or uh, psychopathic for that regard, uh, uh, have to be pretty conscious of the damage that they can do. So educating yourself is very important and understanding if you rip the mask of the so psychopath, sociopath, or a narcissist, they will come after you. So in order, I would just warn people not to some rip the mask leave. of the person. Hmm? Some of them will leave. Once some of, there's different levels of psycho, psycho, psychopathy. There's different levels of narcissism. Not all of them come after you. I just wanted to just also say there are ones that just move on, they leave, they have affairs, they disappear. So there are so many different levels of the mask of sanity. You may think you know one person and then they ghost you in a relationship or something. Those are, again, someone participating in that behavior does not make them a narcissist by diagnosis. True. But if there are enough uh, uh, red flags and patterns of behavior, we must be able to understand that, that uh, at some point in time, when you leave the person and by leaving them, you understand where they come from, right? You're unmasking their nasty behavior. And by unmasking that, uh, they can become pretty cruel and go after you because you yeah. unmask them. They and unmask themselves. That's how I look at it. They take the mask off. This is me. Here I am. You just see the true colors. Because exactly. as soon as they walk out of that door, they're going to put it back on. More than exactly. likely. True. But it, it is our goal. It is our responsibility to ourselves to see it. Because when people reveal themselves, they're being truthful. Yeah, we can sometimes do things uh, in rage, right? Our emotions and hormones are playing. They're going out of the roof. But uh, with a calculating behavior that stands behind uh, narcissistic and psychopathic behavior, uh, the trend behind it, uh, we need to understand the pattern, the pattern of behavior, and not uh, let them know that you have figured them out. Once they know that you figured them out, then the situation may become pretty dire. So like you said, Dr. Sherry, remove yourself from the situation. You don't, don't have to do anything. Yeah, do, you, don't let them know. Or use absolutely do, you know, do not do anything that can put yourself at harm. Exactly. Walk away. Become a gray rock for them. Walk away. Don't try to change them because you will not be able to change them. Just if we look back at our lives and look at the certain relationship that we had had, 
and ask ourselves, did I give it enough effort? And how many times did I give second, third, tenth chances? Or how many times did I show up personally myself in a relationship, having no clue how to even live in a relationship. And I'm being the one out of fear of abandonment. I may be jealous. I may be displaying behaviors. I may be the one that's considered to be displaying narcissistic behaviors. Absolutely. So again, it's about also unveiling our own masks, being who we are, because we might be showing tendencies of narcissism. And again, let's, let's also re um reiterate that all narcissistic people are not psychopaths and not everyone who's displaying narcissistic behaviors are narcissists exactly or diagnosed narcissists absolutely so we have to watch our language when we say it so whoever is a psycho whoever is a narcissist you know i wrote once uh, um in a paper and also submitted that to my professor a long time ago during the master's degree i said we are all narcissists to an extent and he just disagreed with me <laughs> we are narcissists all of us to some extent and the healthy uh share of narcissism should be present in us we should be able to love ourselves not at the pathological level but at the level to appreciate ourselves <clears throat> mm -hmm. and acknowledge ourselves, our self-worth, our boundaries, and be able to put the foot down. This is what it means. And that takes away the narcissism from it. Because narcissism is, a, is, a, is an excessive focus. It's excessively focused. The need for validation, the need. When you stay in a situation where you're constantly needing validation to survive, you're kind of living out a narcissistic pattern of your own. You're relying on something outside of you to make you feel whole. Doesn't, again, that's why the term is used so loosely in today's uh, language, narcissist this, toxic this. Um, but I would halt to call somebody a narcissist unless they've been diagnosed as such. But it's, I think the term's gonna continue to be used loosely. Absolutely, it will be. <laughs> and the majority of course the people with narcissistic personality disorder they will not be diagnosed because nobody goes uh, to the therapist and say hey yo i have a problem it's usually when you do a forensic assessment and that's um like in incarceration True. in the criminal in courts you have the different types of psychopathy tests that can identify traits in narcissists and sociopaths that's true and that's uh, when we can learn. And the majority of cases actually come from there. Uh, that's mm -hmm. that we know of, of course. Um, and it's uh, very important to get educated on that. Absolutely important. Oi, I would have loved to have a, a, a lighter topic of conversation. <laughs> but I wore this light shirt, tried to light light. Yeah, up. let me look at that. Let me, Turn on the light it up. sweater. <laughs> it says light. What does it say? Light it light. up. Uh, light it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Light it up, which is really nice. But you have to embrace darkness in life. You cannot. We don't live without it. It's very important to embrace the dark side. I think naturally I'm funny, happy, and a loving, kind being. But I've always been drawn to the dark side. I have a master's in forensic psych. I'm so intrigued truly by the human mind, especially the darkness of it. How can someone murder someone, um, chop them to pieces? What do you call that? 
can't even think of the term. Um, not deconstruct. Dis and use their use disseminate? their disseminate. No, <laughs> there's a term. <laughs> not decapitate, but I, I mean, see, I, I know I throw these terms out here lightly, like it's no big deal because these things happen to real people. But I mean, look at Ed Gein. He was the popular serial killer who went on to be depicted in American Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He killed people. He killed a pretty woman. Um, and he wanted to, after his mom died, he wanted to be his mom. He wanted to like use the skin to be his mom. As from what I remember, he made things in the house like lampshades, um, corsets with the skin so it's so fascinating that i mean it can get very dark that's what they did in the nazi camps in auschwitz um uh the nazis they were there was one woman i don't remember her name uh but th this is what she did this is what she did they made lampshades with the human skin and uh the pillowcases uh, with the pillows stuffed with the human hair and all that <laughs> this is like so Gosh. horrible I know I took it even darker than <laughs> yeah let's move away from that Dr. Sherry that's it you know for Pete's sake what are we talking about the holidays are coming we need to be happy how am I gonna go about my life today <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> okay on a nice on a positive note nice and the positive say something nice Dr. Sherry come on just take us out of, it, of this darkness there is light at the end of the tunnel that's it. Elaborate on that. Dr. Sherry, please elaborate on the light at the end of the tunnel. At the end of the day, it's a matter of how you view yourself in the world and the world around you. What brings light to your life? Do you so see what, darkness? Do you see light? What brings light into your life, Dr. Sherry? My children, this podcast, friends knowledge spirit the sun the sign this ring light here <laughs> that's it looks like a sun like light. you come into my life thank you thank you and uh, we'll acknowledge our parents as well and the families and of course uh, friends and ourselves uh, so we are light in our own life as well and the lives of other people we're trying to bring light and uh, enlighten people not necessarily uh in a divine way but enlighten them uh um in the intellectual terms uh, by bringing them uh, interesting conversations um and the information that uh, can shed the light on different uh, situations in their lives so um yeah, and uh, speaking about the, the light and the sun, yesterday we had the winter solstice, with which I congratulate you. It's uh, a very prominent holiday that the people celebrated uh, over the centuries in different cultures, was been called with different names. And uh, we're looking to holidays, which is uh, uh, Christmas, uh, Hanukkah fest, and then Christmas, uh, New Year's, everything else. And uh, I'm not looking forward to making uh, New Year's resolutions. <laughs> oh, who needs a resolution? Just, just, just be honest. Be honest. Just see the light exactly. Be honest with yourself what you can do for um, the achievements that you want to have in the new year. Be honest with yourself, like uh, 
trying to lose a hundred pounds in the new year, trying to be realistic, just say a couple of pounds a month, maybe perhaps that would be more achievable, right? Or uh, perhaps writing a book would also be achievable with small chapters that you write and just the bite-sized pieces, of course. That's right. They say, how do you eat an elephant? One yeah. bite at a time. Well, I don't want to eat an elephant. But Dr. Shea, what are you talking about today? Eating an elephant? <laughs> That's a figure of speech. <laughs> Sometimes there's an elephant in the room, so I might as well eat it. <laughs> like eat that frog, eat that elephant. That's right. Yeah. So in the new year, in the new year, I wish everyone who is listening to us right now and who is not quickly come to the screens quickly come to the radios because i'm going to be unleashing blessings on you <laughs> yes i want to wish everyone dr sherry you and everyone who is listening to us and watching us the blessed uh, celebration of holidays and the blessed year ahead to stay true to yourself to love yourself and to love other people next to you, and even those that you, you don't know, to show a little more kindness to them that you normally would, and being thankful to yourself, to your family, um, and stay honest. Stay honest. Be honest and stay honest to yourself. That's right. Without it, it's nothing is possible. You have to be honest with yourself understand yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. It's uh, not an easy thing to do. We like to lie to ourselves, you know? I was the first person, oh, I love to deceive myself because it just felt so good up until the time that I said, this is enough. You know, this is enough. I am going to be the, my best friend with, to whom I go to consult. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to converse with an intelligent person, which is yourself. Well, good luck with that. Good That's luck. Self-will there. <laughs> yeah, will to acknowledge yourself as an intelligent and wise human being. So be kind to yourself and love each other and uh, um, read books, read literature to enlighten yourself about different situations in this life. That's right. Look uh, in the mirror. Love yourself. Look at yourself and be honest. Be honest. That's right. This has been the Be Honest podcast. It was a difficult topic. As you can see, sometimes it was difficult to discuss it because we all come from different backgrounds. But we did it. And maybe one day we're going to come back to it. But for now, we we'll have to conclude uh, our show for today and say thank you to everybody who listened to us, who came to watch us live, who asked us questions, which we did not receive any questions today, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully we'll do it um, next time. We have been live uh, on United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM. This has been the Be Honest uh, radio show with Dr. Sherry and Dr. Yana. Come join us again. We will come. I uh, will be here again next week on Friday. And goodbye. That's right. Signing off. Be honest. Signing off.
Be honest, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye.